What's up, everybody? We are back with a brand new episode of At the Elephants. I could not be more stoked. It just, it's just not possible. Uh, I've had a weird week, you know? It's been a weird, weird week. I, uh, how else can I say this? I was burglarized this week. Somebody broke into my house in the middle of the night, spent the evening in my home doing some laundry, taking a shower, eating my ice cream. Uh, and I found her asleep on my couch when I woke up in the morning. Had to call the cops to haul her off. I wish I could tell the whole full story of that. Maybe I'll have another chat soon that'll air later where I'll tell you the whole story of the crazy, not old, the, the young lady who spent the evening in my home without my permission. Uh, but that, that's what I, that's the life that I'm living right now. That's the world that I'm in. Silver Lake, beautiful. I live at a forty, at the top of a forty-five degree hill. It's like a nightmare to walk up the hill. And they walked all the way up, got into my apartment, and moved in for the night. No rent, just leaving behind some odor and some unwanted clothing. Police hauled her away. Described it as a burglary, but that's what happened. That's where we're at, folks. Um, but I'm going to put that aside for now. I'm going to put that aside because I want to talk about today's guest, Kim Ross, the one, the only, probably not the only fairly regular name, Kim Ross. There's probably more of them, but she is most definitely the only one you need to be concerned about. She's the one and only Kim Ross graduate of design and production. She's not our first design and production student. If you're curious, Go back and listen to a Mr. John Bowers. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, th this is a, a fantastic episode. I'm really excited about this. Uh, she mentions it, but Kim is not as comfortable in front of the mic or camera as she is behind it. Um, she works super hard on the Alumni West situation out here, getting us together for events and... Uh, working to coordinate the newsletter and, and other updates and, and the whole community out here, really. Um, she's putting in a lot of work uh, along with many other talented folks uh, we've talked about in some previous episodes. But Kim is great. Um, one of the things I love about her story, um, many things, uh, one of them is that she did not start in the program that she graduated from, uh, much like uh, myself. So we get a little bit into that. And we talk about the crazy stuff she's gotten into after graduation. I mean, I, I got a wonderful photo of her with the Obamas here that I'm looking at. Uh, she has uh, already had some greatest hits for sure. Um, and we talk about all that. We talk about her fascinating origin story and how, uh, you know, her and her family created the situation that led her to such wonderful, um, entertaining success. So, uh, please enjoy what I found to be a very charming and enjoyable conversation with the lovely Miss Kim Ross. Oh, and yeah, you know, like, subscribe, all that bullshit that we who do this hate to say. Follow me on Instagram, subscribe to the podcast, download all the episodes, even if you hadn't, and you can delete them. I still get credit for the downloads, but that's how we show the support, folks. Spread this around. If you like this podcast, at The Elephants with Rob Morris, tell your friends about it. Uh, we're going international with this son of a bitch. It's just going to be out of control. Enjoy Kim Ross. 
would say with the mic that you're using, you probably want to keep eight inches away. So probably about split the distance that it's away from you right now. You look so uncomfortable pulling a microphone towards <laughs> your face. You're Is not that, even saying no, anything, I'm, but I'm, there's a little bit of like a, I don't yeah. want to do this. I was actually talking to my Uber driver, like, I'm behind the scenes. I love being behind the scenes, like, being in the spotlight in any way makes me Have you ever performed, like, when you were younger, were you always oh, yeah. doing it, or were you, like, acting like everybody Because I feel like even in design and stuff, everybody did, like, plays when they were in high school, yeah. like, as a cast member. I actually performed for more than 10 years before getting into theater. So, um, I say this with all the respect in the world, what the hell's your problem? <laughs> what happened? Great question. <laughs> what were you doing performing for the, all that time? Um, I started in gymnastics. Oh, word. Uh, when I was three. That's quite the spotlight. Yeah. You know, the lighting's not focused on you. It's a little fluorescent, but man, is everybody looking at you, and it's, yeah. there's a Can't standard of perfection. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I liken gymnastics to um, playing an instrument a little bit, except it's your body. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. Because it's like there's that, unlike acting or something like that, there's a, there is a standard of perfection, and you can be like, no, you didn't land it right by like this much. I actually used to play an instrument too. So what did you play? Uh, the violin, and ah. then I got kicked out. Why'd you get kicked out of violin? Um, Because I didn't practice. (laughs) And they were like, ah, gotta gotta kind of let you know. I got kicked out of trombone for the same reason. Well, that's fine. This is hardly, um, I think this is about the lowest stakes performance you could possibly do. Like, there's no standard of perfection. You don't have to do anything other than be yourself, and no one can see you. So it's like, pretty good. It's pretty low. Can't get much easier to perform than that. There's you're, yeah. there's no standard. That's that's true. So um, I always ask everybody the same question at the beginning, which is, where are you from? Um, originally Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Okay, like um, born in Jamaica. It's always everyone's follow up question, right? To well, which I answer the way that you put it. Technically, no. Okay. Um, because I was born in Miami. Mm-hmm. But we were living in Jamaica at the time. Got it. Um, you're on then, vacation or something? Or you're just out of... No, my sister... Um, so it was actually for the the healthcare here in America. Yeah. Um, my sister was born in Jamaica and then got meningitis after three weeks. Got it. Um, and so with my brother and, and myself, my parents didn't want to risk that. So they came up at us. And... So, so wait, you're... Your parents are both Jamaican citizens? Um, well, my dad, now they're both American citizens. Sure, sure, sure. At the time, my dad was an American citizen. He was? Yeah. Okay. But they're both from Jamaica. Got like, it. Born there. So I'm, I'm just trying to understand the idea of, like, was it just for the sake of making sure that you had citizenship and rights to that? Or was it just so that you were born in a clean hospital? The latter. Yeah. Right. Okay. Born in a clean hospital. Yeah. I mean, it worked out. I'm sh- I've never actually really asked them. I'm sure that probably played a part right. as well because some of that's very confusing to me i don't you know i paid a lot of attention to politics and i didn't understand how like the daca program worked until we started mm-hmm. arguing about it like two years ago i remember when obama put that in place but i remember at the time being like i know nothing about how it works if you're not born like i only yeah. understand naturalized citizenship and there's all sorts of ways in which people will 
I, and I'm not saying this is someone who has a problem with it. Like people will find ways to like become citizens in different mm-hmm. ways or make sure their children are citizens so that they have yeah. those rights, even if they don't get them. Yep. It's like, well, at least the kid was born here, so they're going to get a chance to dot, dot, dot. So yeah. I, that's why I asked. I was curious if that was a factor at all. or I'm I'm sure it's possible. Right. Um, the, the way I've always known it, as far as that story, is that it had to do with more so the health benefits. So how long you live in Jamaica? Uh, we left when I was seven. You remember much? Some. What are your memories of Jamaica? But, um, I remember, I don't know, it was just, it was fun. Like, you just kind of, mm-hmm. the, like, the outdoors, like. Yeah. Um, we did, and I don't know if this is more so, like, a testament to the times or if it's the country, but we did mm-hmm. a lot of, like, like outdoors, um, like going to the mountains for the weekend or for like Easter, like um, a lot of family like picnic right. stuff, like that kind of those kind of memories. It's funny because that you say that uh, the way that you set it up is like, is it the times or is it was it our family or what? You know, was it Jamaica? I don't know because I had a very similar experience growing up, and I'm curious if it's have we changed so much as a society or did I have a very specific thing? Like mm-hmm. my point being. I grew up half in between the suburbs and a farm that my family's owned for a really long time. And every single year up until I was about that age, eight, nine, we would have Thanksgiving at my grandma's and it would be like dozens of family members. Like my, I grew up thinking, I mean, it was true, but I I grew up thinking about my family as this massive family. Yeah. And then eventually my grandparents also, you know, we're on the farm, so I'm shooting guns, we're driving Mm -hmm. four-wheelers, it's very outdoorsy. Oh, what are we going to do today? We're not going to stay inside and watch TV, like we're going to go do something. It's going to be an activity. And then my grandparents got divorced, well not divorced, legally, but they separated, stayed on the same farm, but lived in different houses. Like Like, on opposite ends. They said they could hear each other's phone ring. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how close they still live to each other. Um, So it was probably like a half mile away or whatever. But... But the family stopped getting together, kind of because mm-hmm. they were the hosts of those events. And it seemed to go hand in hand. It's like we kind of did less outdoor activities slowly over time. And there was less togetherness and family. And eventually I was like, someone was like, you, are you from a big family? And I remember going, not really. And then thinking like, oh, wow, that's changed. Because I used to think of my family as huge. But now I'm like, no, they're all disparate. They're all over yeah. the place. I don't really know them. Um, are you really close with your family still? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we... Most of my mom's side was still in Jamaica growing up, and so same memories. Like we, we, all the pictures of like my cousins, all of us there, and then um, at some point everyone just kind of split. Uh, So a lot, good chunk of family went back to England Mm. um, because Jamaica was a British colony. Right, a lot of people don't know that. Sure. Um, so uh, a good chunk of family went back to England. A lot went to. Um, America, some state in Jamaica, so we kind of just were, and this, of course, is pre-Facebook, right, pre-social right, right, right. media, all that, um, so we grew up writing letters to each other, and, and, like, that's how, so we were always close, even though we were in different countries. Yeah, I wrote letters with my grandma. Um, yeah. Probably so. up until I was, like, 12 or 15, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, like, way past when anyone else was still sending any mail. It was just, like, but that's what we did, Yeah, you know? Um, I absolutely, uh, I'm curious if we just had a similar experience by chance around the same time period, or if there has been a shift 
you know, in the way families are kind of relating to each other and stuff uh, because of all that. Um, it's I, like, oh, I yeah. see it on Facebook. So we don't need to make an yeah. effort to make sure that every year we see each other and we check yep. in. And like, remember people used to have like family newsletters, like literal family newsletters. Like we didn't have one, but I heard, I knew friends yeah. that did. And it's like I, every quarter they would send out like, hey, Brenda got engaged. And this, you know, it was Facebook before Facebook yeah. where you could just get the down low on that. Um, what was happening? Are your parents still together? Mm-hmm. Have they been like a really good example of... Uh, family and like togetherness and all that stuff I only say because mine's been all over the place and crazy and when I meet people whose family's still together it could you assume like that it's because it's going well but like is it has have they been like a great influence on you as far as that goes they've they've been a huge influence on me um and I've I've definitely learned a lot from them I would say a good chunk of it is more so from like what I I don't want yeah um like rebelling in a good way kind of yeah yeah no, I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I don't specifically obviously know what you mean. <laughs> right. No, but I know what you mean when you see that example and you're like, like my parents worked uh, their whole lives for money and not joy. Mm-hmm. We talk about that actually a lot on this show because that's a lot of artists. Their parents worked joyless jobs and they were like, whatever you do, enjoy your work. Yeah. And they did. They went on to be people who that was a priority for them. Uh, was that an element? Like what are your parents do for a living? Um, so my mom, my dad was always self-employed. Okay. And so I think I, I get my, like... Is that, that, is that vague on purpose? Or is that... Um, a, no, I mean, he did... specifically? Because yeah. <laughs> there was a time a... in college when I was getting by self-employed, uh, making sure all the film students had their marijuana, you know? So, like, we've all been self-employed <laughs> no, in different ways. No. Um, he did, like, scrap recycling, which is big in, yeah. in like, the islands and whatnot. So he... Mm-hmm. Um, he had his own company doing that and he would work between Jamaica, the U S Puerto Rico, which is obviously part of the U S but as far as physical locations, Mm -hmm. um, mainland too. Yeah. And I think, I think that's it. Just those three in Cuba. Right. Um, cause we went there one, a couple times. Um, so he's like recycling aluminum and steel and shit like that. What's mom doing? Um, she was a stay-at-home mom for almost 20 years. So all your growing up, mom was home? Yeah. See, Well, until high school. Gotcha. So not. And then where was she then? Um, so she got a job at, um, BJ's, which is like a wholesale club Mm -hmm. on the East Mm -hmm. Coast, yeah. Or Southeast. It's Um, funny, I hear it's a restaurant. Yeah, that's, well, that's a different, right? yeah, a whole different chain. Yeah. I don't. I don't think they're... I don't think they're related, no, like to each yeah. other. Um, but I, it's funny because I'm from Texas and there's neither. <laughs> so when I got away, I was like, they really called a place BJ's? Yeah. Like, for real? Like, I was, I was on but trying I to think be it was gross. someone's was name. Like, of course. Yeah. But to be, it would just be like, seems on the nose to like, it's an obvious yeah. thing. Um, I, but the, who am I? Harris Teeter sounds gross to me. Somehow that sounds like inappropriate. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about Harris Teeter. I'm like, what? Nasty. Yeah. Um, but that's cause I'm a child. So, um, so mom was staying at home and then she got like, like a part-time job or was she yeah, working full-time so she, over there? I think she started part-time if I remember. So, um, our family, my dad was, was sponsoring them to transition. So talking about like how people, you know, mm-hmm. um, come to the country in different ways. And so they, he, he was sponsoring them to come up from Jamaica. So we had... 
a very full house. Um, and right. that gave, I have a, my sister's handicapped. She had brain damage from meningitis. So, oh, gotcha, um, right. so that gave an opportunity to have other people caring for her. My mom was able to, um, a little, a little to get a job. On that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, that's great. Which, so it does sound like you have a really supportive unit back there. Like, like there's a lot of yeah. elements of like people pitching in. That's good. Yeah, definitely. Right. Definitely. Um, they're all still humans at the end of the day, so they have their, their issues, but I'm not trying to put anybody <laughs> on a pedestal, but, but I, yeah. I say that only to, I'm always trying to get to the bottom of how people operate and you're a very kind person. And one of the things that, um, that I find no one out here on the West coast has, has put like a lot of effort of uh, barring a few people that have been exceptions over the years. It's really hard to organize alumni out here. There aren't as many of us. The system, the infrastructure for that is just not there. It's been started at times and then restarted at times. You yourself have recently tried to restart it and get it going, which is great. Anyone from our school who spends time on alumni shit, I'm impressed with in a way. I mean that. And I'm not trying to kiss ass. I mean like Anyone who did student government while we were at that school, I was like, you got time for fucking student government? And those people were still usually really great at their art. It wasn't like they were slacking on what they did. I know. That's why I'm talking to you about it. (laughs) No, I know. That's what I'm saying is like there's – that's a certain kind of person who's already doing a 60-hour workload and then looks and sees like, oh, well, you know, we actually do need people to help out with these other – we need to have a life outside of these classes. And not just for something for you to do, but the things that like student government and all those organizations on campus that are trying to like send us fucking ice skating or like whatever, like all those little things that we all kind of like to joke about, but like, oh, it's so lame. It's like, we got something to fucking go do. Yeah. And the fact that students who are paying money to get that education would then volunteer, you seem like the kind of person who is like already very busy and then volunteers on top of it. Not just you seem that way. I know you're that way. And so that's what I'm kind of curious to get to the bottom of about you, because how does someone become like that? It's not normal. It's not how most people behave. You remember, you remember being at school and trying to get people to participate and volunteer and help out with all those extra things. And you remember probably more so than other schools, it's hard because people are not doing two classes for five hours a day. So where does that come from? That, that, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to categorize it for you, but that initiative is the word I want to use, like to do those extra things, to take that extra time. I think, I think going back to family and, and all of that, like having my sister is, I think someone who I would credit has, has formed me and like, you know, what's the age gap there? Uh, she's, she just turned 46. Gotcha. So. 17 years yeah yeah yeah. substantial my sister's nine years old not quite that far but yeah I relate a little bit to having that older sibling and I will say uh you know I don't I don't know much uh, uh, about your sister's condition at all um or to compare it but like there was definitely a point with my sister got a lot of undiagnosed issues um and uh I, I don't know anything about why she's the way she is but when I was very young I passed her upstairs Mm -hmm. you know what I mean I don't know how else to put that in a nicer way but she just stopped developing like arrested development like she's still she's almost 40 and she has that kind of like 
uh, every, she, it's like talking to a 15 year old. It's weird. She's very defensive, very insecure about little, you can't make fun of her. She'll blow up like a 12 year old at the dinner table. It's very strange. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it, it's a very strange, uh, dynamic, I think. Um, and you speak much more to your specific circumstance to have an older sibling without that traditional dynamic. Mm-hmm where they're the mentor to your life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and when you, it's just different. It's right. different than other people who have those older siblings who are like, hey, I went through what you're going through. Let's talk about it. You end yeah. up having a different relationship. Well, I I have an even more complicated because sure. my, uh, my siblings are all, I think now they're in their 50s. Wow. Um, so, so very significant gap. How old are your gap. parents? Um, my dad is 78 and my wow. mom is 73 that's fascinating to me my best friend is a similar ratio yeah. and he and i are the same age um go on yeah saying. so that i think i've always i've always grown up um around people that are older than me right um, right 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 Baby. i also i also because we moved from jamaica do you have any younger siblings no i'm, I'm right the so you're the super baby yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, because we moved from Jamaica, you're on the British system down there. Um, they didn't, my parents insisted that I just continue. So I ended up graduating at 16 and then going to college the same month. I've known a number of people started like yeah. in London or wherever. Mm-hmm. They get over here and they're like, you're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, what do you mean I'm done? I, can I don't try. recommend it. Yeah. And, and we can dive into that. For but, sure. Um, so what did you do at 16 then? I went to I went to college immediately. The same month that I turned seventeen, yeah. Wow. Less than to less NCSA. than a month, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you show up in Winston Salem at seventeen like years old. A few weeks after I turned seventeen, yeah. What the which hell you're, is Which you're like, like not really a seventeen. Right. Oh, it was it was it was hard. I think talking about like developmentally, um, I would look around at, at like peers and and say like how are they getting this? And I'm not, you know, like how I think I, you're still, you're still developing at that, at that age. And so just being able to process certain emotions and, and things that were happening and and juggle everything was, was a challenge. Did everybody know you were young? Yeah. Well, I I mean, I had the red card. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh my God. I think they turned... What was it? The yellow ones were the high school. High school. Red was red was uh, un- under eighteen. It's under eighteen, and then purple. Regardless, or, mm-hmm. or under eighteen, college. College. Because yeah. obviously, if you're under eighteen in high yeah. school, you have the yellow one. I uh, actually, I think, I don't know. I probably never see yours, but I think I only ever saw one. Because how often does that fucking happen? There were. I know there were two of us, at least two of us, in DMP. I think Nuri Hazard in our class may not have been eighteen when he arrived. Yeah. But it wasn't long. Yeah, most people had it for like a month or something. I had it all year. Right, right, Um, right. Yeah, I graduated college before I could drink drink legally. Wow. And still had to go through the entire summer before. That's crazy. I turned 21. Yeah. I only say that because uh, I went to school with a film guy for a while. And then I was actually just talking to Joe Flanders the other day about how we, not me, but uh, our film crew got arrested shooting uh, Beach Week. Yeah. Yeah. 
And during the bail hearing, we didn't talk about this on his episode, but during the bail hearing, we found out that one of our film crew members was like four years older than we thought he was. And we'd gone to school with him the whole time. Oh, wow. And they, they stood up. They're like, everyone stand up, say your, your name and your date of birth. And so they're just going down the row. And it's like Joe Flanders, 87, Kenan Jackson, 88, 87, 88, 86, Andrew Garrell, 1984. And we were like... <laughs> wait, motherfucker, you're 27 years old or something like that? Like, it was crazy. Wow. And it was because he'd gone to another school, yeah. left, and he'd already been older when he went to that school, and they'd given him shit about it. So he's like, when I go to NCSA, I'm just going to tell everybody I'm 18. Oh, wow. And I'll, I'll just play it out. Yeah, people are weird about age. And so they, and, but he <laughs> made both. it all the way through. He had graduated. Until it was that. the summer after graduation and a judge, like that's, that's what it took <laughs> that's to break his ruse. That's how clever he was. He got away with it for four years and he had to stand in front of a judge in court and tell us all the truth. That was how Man. far it took. Um, so you just, you just told everybody I'm a baby yeah, right off the bat. You're like, I can't hide it. I mean, through my entire education, it was, I was always one to two years younger than everyone in my class and then hey, we're turning 21 everyone's going to foothills you're like i'm gonna study and work my drafts oh no i mean i still drink. or did you find another way to get out <laughs> i found ways to i mean i didn't really yeah did you have a fake no i've never had a fake id no. and i meet people all the time who are like 20 and i'm like oh sorry you can't come to my comedy show it's a 21 and up club and they're like dude are you kidding like i'll be there and I was like, I what? Just, like, that never occurred yeah. to me because I'm, I'm not a big drinker. So I never was trying to do it yeah, early same. necessarily. Yeah, like same. I, I didn't. I, growing up in Miami, I also kind of, in the friends that I was around, it's easy to party when you're younger. Just a, Miami's just known as the lamest town. It's just oh, nothing yeah. to do. Nothing at all. Shuts down at 5.30 p.m. No. Famously. There's a, there's a supposedly a block that um, has a 24-hour liquor license. So it's like you get out at like 2 in the morning and then you go to another party right. and just keep going. You get out at 6 a.m., you can continue. So, so I'm curious then how, because I never knew that about you when we were in school together, like that you were younger by any stretch. Um, I think you graduate right before me though because you're younger than me, but you graduated before me because I'm older. 2011? So, yeah, I'm 2013. Okay. Um, so let's see, scene design, 2011, so what, like Bowers and that crew? He's 2012, He's 12, I think. okay. Yeah. So who's in your class, just to refresh my memory? Um, Stephen Edwards. Yeah. Zach Hankin. Uh-huh. Um. Those guys up to any of your, yeah. uh, classmates, are they still working? Are they doing other stuff? Or are they, do you know? Um, I think Zach is in the military. That does sound right. And I think Stephen. Stephen Edwards, I believe, went back to school for architecture. Hmm. Um, I only ask because when I, so I started in DMP, obviously, and I, I don't mm -hmm. know if everyone who listens to this knows that. Um, but like the directing program, the design classes are so fucking small that it's mm -hmm. like you, you only have to keep track of like four or five other yeah. people max. And sometimes I know scene design will graduate like three or four people. Yeah, so I, I actually ended up graduating in props. Um, did you really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I failed out of scene design. How did that happen? Because I was young and could not juggle things and Was it just too things. much work? No. Um, there was a lot going on when I was in college with my family. Sure. Um, and so when I left to college, freshly minted 17-year-old, um, my parents went into foreclosure. 
my grandmother died, my dog died, um, all within the span of like a few months that summer. Yeah. Um, so the, I already went in with a lot and then of course it's a really intense program. It's so hard. Um, states away. And so just like processing all of that was, was a lot. And, Mm um, and I, I struggled and, and, and probably took on way too much in like extracurricular and, right. and all of that. But yeah, I, I, I struggled a lot through it and I just wasn't, I mean, design just w- also wasn't the program for me and I learned right. a lot about myself. So what year did the switch that. happen? Um, my third year. Like middle of the year? No. So I, was it? Yeah, it, Maybe. Going into third or like in the middle? It may have been in the middle of that year. Right. I know I did. I was I was scene design my second and, and third. So I actually started as a painter, switched to scene design, thinking that's what I wanted to do. Sure. Um, and that's hardly a leap, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's not really. I mean, it's definitely different designing and painting, but from design it's, to yeah. props is a much... That's a much different job. They're all they're all pretty similar, and that's what made the switch um, easy. As far as the study goes, yeah, because like the credits all pretty much right, right, right. We right, found right. a way to make it all transfer, and and yeah, basically, I had my advisor. Um, it was it was pretty rough. Um, who I had been confiding in, you know, with everything going on with my family and juggling all of that. Um, she essentially failed me so that I wouldn't be able to go on to the next term, next mm-hmm, class. Mm-hmm. Um, and through all the conversations, it's like her I way remember, of trying to get you to quit. Yeah, right. and said you need to do this in um, in uh, five years, and you need to like repeat the year. And I said, "There's no way that I can afford that, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to drop out." Um, and so I need to do this in four years. What, how do we make that happen? What can I get out of it? Yeah. Um, and she, she, I will never forget these words said, honestly, do you think you have the talent to continue Mm. in this? Like, do you think you have the skills to continue? How'd that make you feel? Other than Um, angry, which seems to be the easy answer, but like, I think an educator should never be saying that to someone, right? Like, especially I think as artists, we are so emotionally attached to our work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and full disclosure, at that point, I mean, I'm confiding in her that I'm dealing with depression and, um, you know. Self-esteem. Yeah, right. and, and, and self-harm um, and, and struggling with that. And I think that was just way out of line for somebody to, to, to say, somebody in that position to say. Right. Like, that's not, it's not helping the situation. I don't want to speak for anyone. I certainly won't speak for her or for you. Um, I will say that I do have a very, I, I have complex opinions about that kind of stuff. I don't think that that was appropriate uh, from what I've heard your version of the story uh, at all. Uh, you know, especially given the details about you that she definitely knew. But that being said, I've had a number of interactions with teachers over the years one in particular is stuck in my head that when you say this, it reminds me of it. It was far less significant. It wasn't a big crucial moment, but it was a moment where like a teacher tried something and it failed on me bad. Mm-hmm. And it was embarrassing for me and for him in front of the class. And then he apologized to me later. And I'd never had a teacher do that before. 
you know, teachers didn't have humility like that yeah. growing up. It was like they did what they did, and they were just like kind of like dictators. It was like right. take it or leave it. It was, it was it's just authority. Yeah, you, it's how I work. You know, I don't need to explain it, it to you. I'm yeah. certainly not going to apologize. Anything. I don't want to show weakness. Well, this guy was kind of an asshole, but that was kind of his thing. He was a he was Jamaican, and he was a Jamaican Spanish teacher in New York City, and he was funny. He was a funny guy, and he would he would like give people shit if they weren't paying attention he would like make almost make fun of them mm-hmm. or like say something kind of mean or sassy or whatever that's kind of part of our culture <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean for the most part it was okay you know it was fine but one day he crossed the line with me really bad and hurt my feelings embarrassed me in front of everybody he knew it went too far and he apologized afterwards and it was I don't remember what it was. I think I was eating chips or something in class. And I had really bad acne when I was in high school. And I was overweight. A lot of self-esteem issues. And I, I, I always felt like a lot of self-worth. But I felt like physically that was the thing that was like, man, I almost rolled the perfect dice. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm a dude. That seems to be helping me out. I got all these other things, you know, that are great. I'm funny. I'm whatever. But I'm overweight. My skin's like no one is attracted to me. And so that was, like, maybe the only real insecurity I had, you know, if I was a smart guy, all that. And he goes, uh, I think I was eating, like, Fritos or something, like a little bag of chips, and I was, like, kind of sneaking chips. And maybe he caught me, like, kind of not paying attention, but I wasn't really dicking around. And he goes, "If you, I forget what he said specifically, uh, but he was basically, like, maybe all those greasy chips are the reason your face is like that. Whoa. Put the chips away and focus on the class. And I was like, it fucked me up. I was like, look, I don't really care about you or what you think of me, but I'm so insecure about that part of me. And I'm insecure about the fact that I have this like overeating problem. And then I, the last thing I expected was before I left yeah. class for him to pull me aside and go, that was over the line. I'm so sorry. That was absolutely inappropriate. And I was like, you just blew my mind twice. Like, I never thought anyone would say yeah. that to me as a teacher. But then I also never thought I'd hear a teacher apologize to me. Um, How was that? It was so strange. I mean, we never had a bad relationship before or after that moment. I mean, it hurt my feelings. But I never hated the guy. I was never like, this guy's bullshit. I was like, I got respect for that. I really did because I make jokes. I'm a funny person. Mm-hmm. I try to make jokes all the time. I sometimes crack a joke at someone's expense. And it, ooh, that did not land. So I, I kind of respected it. Like, it, it's, I was still hurt by it. But I, man, the fact that he humbled himself. A dude who was so confident. This guy was like, people walk in and it was like, sit down, do this, you know, all the time. He never seemed to make mistakes. And th- that dude would admit a yeah. mistake in humility. It truly, I mean, it stuck with me. That was, you know, junior year of high school. I went to three different high schools. I had a lot of different teachers. I remember that day and that thing that uh, happened yeah. because... It affected me. Did you ever get anything from that teacher back that was kind of like... No. Um, it, it, and it, I don't know that I necessarily needed anything. Sure, just out of curiosity that they and felt like maybe it was out of the line no, or anything. No, no she didn't. Um, and, and I think that was... I'm... It, it set everything else into motion, right? So it's, it's not okay that she said that, but it it's part of the the story right like it's part of the journey so it 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 is what it is and I think she's you know she was on her own journey and education wasn't for her she wasn't 
asked to be asked to come back. Understood. Um, so, and so it is it is what it is. Right. So you go to props. Um, yeah. So I after that, I said I'm switching advisors um, and I did and um, got a much more compassionate and understanding and helpful. And and I was determined at this point. No, this was Howard. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It and he me is, so deeply. He was my teacher, of course, for a little bit as well. Yeah. And and Howard and Bland, I think, and I, I, I let them know this years later, but um, I, I'm not sure I would have made it out alive, literally, if it mm. weren't for them. Um, and that what was... What do you think it was, other than compassion? Like, what, what was it that they... Well, I think they brought to the table as educators. They, I think, uh, from my perspective, what I felt was respect and understanding that, because being taking responsibility and being completely honest, I wasn't I wasn't doing my work, but I was struggling to do my work. It's not that I was just like, well, fuck it, I'm just you were partying gonna, like, all the time, yeah. blowing it off. You were just not able to keep up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I was struggling to just even make it to classes, to wake up for things, to do anything. And I mean, that's, that's all part of depression, right? Like that's, and, and of course this is before people were even talking about it the way that we talk about it now. Which is still not good enough. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I hadn't even come to terms with that's what I was dealing with. Just out of curiosity, how does your family feel about mental illness? Does your family treat mental illness with respect or is it something that they kind of push off and is like, nah, that, that doesn't happen to us? Um, initially, and it's more so that doesn't happen to us. It's more so kind of like buck up, just exactly, get, you know, right. get over it, do it. Um, There's so many but, cultures that feel that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm from the version of white people that feel the same way which is like old southern just deal with it and it's like just... oh you're sad try being hungry mm-hmm. you know that's their attitude on it it's like uh it's a disease yeah <laughs> yeah you know i don't need to be shamed for it like yeah. let's talk about it so was um, that do you think that was a little bit of what you're bringing into it too or is like i just got to be tougher oh absolutely i, I mean, just gotta I, buck up and get through it i didn't yeah it's 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 so many so many layers of um what was happening with my family and and to kind of answer your earlier question i i grew up from a very young age taking care of my sister so it was always i never really and i don't say this in necessarily a bad way but i never really had a childhood Mm -hmm. um in the sense of being able to be a kid from when i was like 10 years old i remember taking care of my sister absolutely um and i mean it's like a weird dynamic because here i am a child taking care of literally an adult Mm -hmm. um and so I think, I think that always, that was instilled in me from very young of just always being about others um, and and being of service to others. Um, it's so wild that you're you you say that, and I, I totally can try to wrap my brain around that. But to not have a childhood in what felt like a traditional way, and then for your childhood to be over before everyone else's. You know what I mean? Yeah. Most of us get to be children until we're 18. Some of us 19. And you were like, all right, you're done being a child while you're still a teenager. Go be an adult. Yeah. I mean, I, I started working at 15, paying for everything myself. And right. like that, like, yeah, very much like grew up before before my time. So you give yourself a lot of credit almost in a way when you're struggling 
and not wanting to admit depression because you're like, I'm pretty badass. Like, I can do a lot. I've been doing a lot for a long time. But then then that stuff comes in and you're like, I have to admit that there's something else at play here other than my abilities. Yeah, I I think now I'm able to do that. Um, But I think Maybe not that perspective all the time, sure. Definitely not. I mean, I... I grew up fearing the word like I, I then on the other on the other side of it was always called selfish. Right. Mm-hmm. Because as a kid, you want to be a kid. But so I've always feared that word. I've always feared kind of doing things for myself and and prioritizing myself. And so that's been a huge part of my journey um, through college and and um, and just to where I am today. Is, like ma- a focus on making sure that what you're spending your time on does not solely benefit you. That kind well, of... no, making sure that I'm not spending my time on just benefit, like... The opposite. Yeah. So you, it's a conscious effort to make sure you take care of yourself. Yeah. There you yeah. go. That Cause, totally cause makes sense. Everything else, I mean, in, even in my career, my career is built, like, the drive that I have is always in the back of my head knowing that at any moment I will need to adopt my sister and right. become a parent overnight. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I was faced with that this, this past just a few months ago of having that conversation but right um so I've never I've never really been able to kind of like just relax and enjoy the moment in that and so that journey is something I'm still figuring out and in how to do all the things and give the way that I want to um but still also take that time for myself it's so I mean, that is a unique situation. I mean, not to say that no one's ever been in a similar situation, but that dynamic, you know, I'm the oldest person in my family not to have any children. So there's no one who's ever made it to their 30s in my family that I know of who didn't have kids already. And it's a choice, you know. (laughs) I didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, you know, uh, something that I've waxed and waned on. I've at no point so far been like, you know what, maybe it's at all not ready I know I'm not in a bunch of different ways mostly financially but for you to have the awareness that you've always been in the situation where it's like I can't ever totally live life fully by myself like for myself is what I mean not by but for myself like because I mean one of the reasons why I don't have any children isn't just because I'm not ready but because I don't want to compromise things I want to do with my time and because I'm selfish you know, I want I want that time for There's me. Nothing wrong with being well. Yeah, with, of with course. That, yeah. And it's your life. You should be able to yeah. do what you want to do with your life. But at the same time, you taking on that responsibility because and it's also like I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that is not literally the only thing that could happen with your sister if your parents weren't around anymore right like there's some place she could be but you would much rather her be yeah. with you it, yeah. that's, it is a choice yes. it's not fully like hey nothing i can do eventually i gotta adopt my sister it's like no i'm going to adopt my sister eventually because that's the right place for her to be yeah right uh again i don't kiss your ass but that's very admirable like you know uh i struggle right now with my dad My dad's going through a lot of difficult stuff. I'm constantly like, do I need to just quit all this being in L.A. shit and just go take care of him? Like, what is the right call on that? Because, and it's different than your your sister's situation, only because, like, I want to respect my dad's agency as an Mm -hmm. adult person who's capable of, for now, sustaining himself. But um, 
that's the only, that's the closest thing I have in my life where I'm like I'm I hope I don't die tomorrow because yeah there's this person out there that may need my help at some point and um I don't know part of it you know I feel the weight of it but at the same time god it, it just it, there's a little bit of purpose in it there is a little bit of like well god I'm I'm needed a little bit on mm-hmm. this earth a little bit you know one way or another there I mean, are people who would be better off if I were still around and that's that that is like no exaggeration that is what has kept me here um tell me more about that if you're comfortable yeah um yeah I've I've I think had two two very severe seasons I guess of um of depression of of um suicidal depression Mm -hmm. specifically um when I was in college Mm -hmm. and um a couple years ago here in LA yeah Yeah. I would say um again I don't know if it's what we're going through as a society but I very similar uh my first bout uh with depression was not when I was in school actually I didn't I didn't struggle much with it in CSA uh but I was diagnosed as a kid like a really young kid with mm-hmm. like clinical depression. They put me on antidepressants for like seven years growing up. Uh, I don't even, you know, you, this is the thing that bothers me about depression, which is a hilarious sentence to start. Here's the thing that bothers me the most about dealing with this condition. I got convinced when I was a kid that it's something fundamentally broken about your brain. And mm-hmm. so you're going to get more sad than most people. And so you need to be fighting that your whole life. And the more science I read now, horseshit. Yeah. That's not how it works. We're all prone to it. It yeah. could all happen to us and yeah. it can get better. Yeah. You can literally learn to cope with it to the point that it is not in your life anymore. And you don't have to live your life with this constant fear that it's coming back one yeah. day. And that fucked me up for a really long time. And when I got to L.A., I went through probably about a year after I got here, six months of like nihilistic, everything's pointless, fuck everything. Mm-hmm. Why, why, we're ants on a rock in space. Why does anybody care about anything? Yeah. And I, and it, it had a lot to do with the fact that when I was a kid, they're like, well, just so you know, you'll always might get sad again. And lately I've been like, I think I'm done. I'm trying to be done. I'm trying to just be done with that forever. If it comes back, I'll deal with it. But I'm not, it's not a, it's not a gene I got. Right. It's, it's you know, I that think, I can't get rid of. I think I have, I've read a lot about this. Yeah, and, same. And, um, and I actually have toyed with the idea of going back to school to get a degree in psychology mm-hmm. just to be able to put out theories about it because um, I actually think it's, it's, it's down to kind of like our primitive roots mm-hmm. and it's, it's a survival instinct right. in our body. And it's our body telling us like something is off and we need to, it's it's the obviously I'm not a doctor right this is no, just me my personal this my is just personal two, um, but, two people with arts but, degrees having a yeah, chat that is all this yeah is. Um, I'm sorry but, someone with an arts degree and someone with an arts diploma but it's two people it, <laughs> unqualified um, but I think uh, I think it's like we, we exist on this spectrum right mm-hmm. and and I think when you get to that point of of suicidal ideation you're on that extreme of it and there have been signs and and symptoms before and that is just another symptom of just 
you know, like an underlying issue. For me, I found uh, in not taking care of myself is I can I can pretty much run on empty mm-hmm. and I will just forget to eat and not because I have a bad relationship with food or anything like that, but I will just be so busy and not get hungry and then look back. And, and that's something I've done since high school. I'll look back and say, oh shit, I've only had like a bag of chips to eat today and that's it. And, and I think for me, that's, that's a huge part of it is my body is literally exhausted and starving. And, and starving. Yeah. And, and I think it's affected my brain function. It absolutely um, will. And I'll tell you as someone who was on Adderall for seven years and it is a massive appetite limiter. And I was a very overweight kid. I told you, well, for like four years, they put me on Adderall and antidepressants. So I went from being a fat kid who was kind of morose to being a skinny kid with lots of energy in like no time. And to this day, my relationship with my appetite is so messed up. This afternoon, I was hanging out with one of my friends, and she goes, do you want to get something to eat? I honestly had to stop, try to figure out how I felt, and I go, I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm hungry. It's not clear to me, and it still isn't to this day. And I also found out that that has to do with depression, too. Mm -hmm. It's both. Like yeah. it, it's, I, I spent, you know, almost a decade on it, amphetamines, which has just like altered the way my brain tries to process that. Are you hungry thing? And then depression affects that severely. Yeah. It, it, it makes it to where your brain ignores evolutionary mm-hmm. primitive stuff. Like it stops being like, oh, you should keep yourself alive. Yeah. And I, I guess maybe it taps into like hibernation stuff or whatnot yeah. is like running on running on those kind of running on fumes basically right but yeah um i think it's it's very much that like not having the fuel to continue and then the symptoms come out so what it. got you through the second bout i running. feel like turning things around in college we kind of answered but what was the what was the second one running running yeah like literally running like yeah. jogging like I trained for a marathon um, and ran it. And that was so March. Uh, that was, I think, the closest that I be, I came to actually acting on it. Gotcha. Um, and uh, that was March 2017, mm-hmm. April. Mm-hmm. Um, someone had approached me, a friend approached me and was like, do you want to train for a marathon? And I've had it written down on my goals list for nine years at that point. Um, and I said, yeah, sure. Um, and April, we started training, and it was it was a huge switch because when you're training for a marathon, you have to eat. You yep. cannot, you just cannot. Your body will will not do it. You'll get injured. You'll, and um, so that kept me. It kept me accountable to fueling my body. Um, that is like so brilliant. There's so mm-hmm. many elements of that that make sense. You got the structure, you have the community of working with your friend, yep. you have the regularity of the uh, diet, you've got the, the natural exercise, the yeah. natural endorphins from uh, the running. Uh, the exercise is going to make your body look better and you're going to feel better about yourself. That's just that's brilliant. Is that would you suggest that to most people? You're like, "Hey, if you're feeling no, sad, just hop on the marathon just, bus. Just just run, run yourself a marathon, a quick marathon yeah. real quick." Um <laughs> I, I wouldn't not recommend it. I think there's there's a lot of power in training for a marathon. And I, I think based on the reactions I got and 
that journey, you don't need to be a runner. I couldn't run for 10 minutes before I started. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't need to be a certain weight. You don't need to be a certain age. Um, You could walk the entire thing. So if if that's what that goal is for someone, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found that that's, those are my tools, right? Exercise and eating properly. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what works for me. Um, that's not going to be everyone else's solution, but sure, sure. again, but yeah, there's, people, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But qualified and experience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and absolutely, you know, I've never done that, but I will say the drama school kicked my ass and did a lot of those things. You know, it was like all of a sudden, um, you know, I moved to North Carolina as like a, fuck it, I'll try this. I don't know. You know, uh, I, I got lucky that I got in. But my friend, I'd already quit and I was working and not going to go back to college. And my friend convinced me to go. And when I got there, it was like, wow, everyone here is like beautiful and happy and like making cool stuff. And they're talented and they're letting me hang out with them. And I don't really get that but I don't feel like I match, you know, and I wanted to match. But everyone's feeling that. Yeah, exactly right. And of course you don't know that. Right. Um, You know, you think you're the ugly one that doesn't belong. And, but it was a change of, uh, you know, community. I think that's one of the biggest things. If I were to, you know, give any, if any advice to anyone about, if you're just trying to shake things up and you feel kind of stagnant or you're feeling sad or you're feeling, "I I don't know try do what you can to try to find a new community and mix it up with the people because when I moved to North Carolina two things I didn't do before I got to North Carolina ever pretty much ever I didn't smoke weed and I didn't exercise and do either of those things neither of those things ever interested me in high school or anything and when I moved to North Carolina I had I had a lot of ideas about what marijuana smokers were in my head before I got there you know dare Mm -hmm. program worked well on me (laughs) so I got to North Carolina and all of a sudden there's all these people and they're smoking all this weed but then they're going and doing stuff Mm -hmm. and I was like I thought smoking weed was for hanging out on your couch yeah Yeah. whereas my friend comes over and he's like what's up dude let's take like a huge bong rip and then go ride bikes in Washington Park and I'm like what okay and I started giving stuff like that a try and before you know it I would rather go ride my bike than just hang out and watch TV um not anymore, but there was a time. Uh, <laughs> what did that? I was into that. Yeah. And you know things change, but, but but I did learn too that like another thing that's important to me is I have to live somewhere where the weather is nice enough for me to go outside mm-hmm. a lot. I need vitamin D or I'll get sad. I wish that weren't true because I love overcast. I love the rain. I love being inside. Yeah. But if I don't live somewhere where I can go outside and get some sun, Rob gets real sad. Like New York's yeah. tough for me. Can't do it. Can't do New York for more than like a week. Because it's just like I'm, inside. I'm the opposite, and I love winter and cold. And I like it. That's the, what I'm saying. Is like it's like yeah. a, it's like a necessary evil to me. It's like going out in the sun is like exercise. It's like yeah. I gotta go do. I'm not in love with it. I'd rather all any other condition, honestly. But but I know that but if you I know put you myself it, yeah. in a city like New York, where all of a sudden, and every time I've lived there, it's been like epic winters that are like record breaking. Yeah. But last time I was there, it was like yeah, it was unbearable to go outside for like seven months and I was like I put on 15 20 pounds ordering in food never going on walks never going on hikes never going on anything so LA honestly is part of what has kept me going too is just living in a place where the weather's nice enough enough of the year that I can go do shit outside um do you want to talk about Obama and Beyonce and all that stuff (laughs) um 
Sure. Yeah. Why not? It's a pretty good stories. Well, I think it's funny. I was thinking about that earlier. Like, I think that all ties into everything else we've been talking about, right? Great. It's like Tie I, it in. I don't have to do it. I never know how to celebrate my accomplishments and, and celebrate, right? Because two parts to that is is you're never at that point because because I always have to be you know moving along and the next thing the next yeah. thing the next thing um so it never feels like I've made it so to speak um good and yeah and it not that I ever like not that that's what I'm like striving for but right. but then what would you do is my point when, you once you've made it oh all right you made it what you go float in the pool in your million dollar home you know what I mean like yeah. literally like there's I there's always that's work kind to be of done. what we were talking yeah. about at the very beginning which is like trying to be like that expectation you know of of oh I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna hop off the platform and I'm gonna you know mm-hmm. I'm gonna be done and you're you're never you're never done so you were saying you can't you don't know how to celebrate yeah I think that's because well, one, I think I've always looked at it maybe too too much from a practical lens of just like, oh, those are people, and this is my career, this is just a job, and you know, we're all we're all humans at the end of the day, right? Um, but I think I think that you know, like going back to spectrums, right? Like that's too far on one side, and I think it takes away from from acknowledging the things that you've accomplished. Um, but yeah. So what were the big moments for you that you felt like, man, I wish I could like appreciate this accomplishment more. This is a big deal. Like everybody's coming at me being like, oh my God, I can't believe you dot, dot, dot. Um, I've been a few, a lot. Um, I think going to Dubai, I, I remember when I got promoted to producer, at my job everyone was like well what are we gonna do to celebrate and I was like what are you talking about I got work to do like uh, right. like why would I celebrate that and that was a big a big eye-opener of like oh people celebrate promotions like that I I can stop and take the time to do that that's right. a thing I don't yeah I don't really grip with that either that's hard for me to wrap my brain around because when you it's weird to celebrate getting especially when you kind of work in projects-based stuff for so long you're like I'm like celebrating that I got a job. I got a job to do. Like, yeah, yeah I totally yeah. relate to that. You're like, there's, let's celebrate when I pull it off. All mm-hmm. I've been given is an opportunity. Yeah, that seems like a weird thing to celebrate to me, and probably to you. Maybe not to everybody else, but like, it it does seem strange to me to pat myself on the back when all I did was wade through the competition to get a shot at doing mm-hmm. the thing. I haven't even done the thing yet. So like, it and doesn't it, and, it doesn't feel like celebration. And time. for that as well, like I had to fight for it. They right. didn't. I didn't. I didn't, it wasn't like they said, hey, you're worthy of this. We're going to give this to you. I had to convince them that I was worthy of it, you mm-hmm. know? So that, so it, it didn't necessarily feel like it was something to celebrate. Right. It's something um, you earned. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there is something strange about like celebrating that, right? Because I feel like you, to me, I want to celebrate things that I didn't have anything to do with in a way, you know, like. The day I pay off my student debt is not going to be a day I want to celebrate. Like, I'm not going oh, to I'm dinner. That. No, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I want to treat it. Well, first of all, I'm probably, I, my, my number one plan, so that we're talking about plan B. My, my plan A is to die owing the money. 
That's what I'm really oh, hoping. Don't do that. That's my hope because I have no one to give it to. So there's no one who's going to no. take it on from me. Let me tell you. Yeah. I just a little bit of a tangent. Sure. I just paid off 70% of it. Yeah. In in a year I decided to get like I started reading about financial stuff and just mm-hmm. like geeked out on that shit and paid off 70% of it last year and I'm down to the last one now How and much it did you is have? Um last year was like t- about 30,000. Got it. Um 28 28 and change right in in where I started in January, mm-hmm. but I think it was like 40 total. Yeah. Um yeah. And it is it's a game changer. Don't die with it. Like like I feel like I can now start living my life. How did you come up with twenty eight thousand dollars? I lived very frugally. Gotcha. Like budgeted. I mean, to the point that my friends were like, "Kim, you got to live your life," and I'm like, right. "But I'm just sacrificing like this one year." Sure. And then then I can you know. Yeah, then I, I can do other things, right? For and sure. so, um, Dave Ramsey, he's like the, yeah, 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 the yeah. anti-debt guru, followed his program basically and mm-hmm. like got on a budget and then getting promoted. It's funny. Um, a lot of people, I'm not going to talk too much about this because I, I geek out like crazy on this. Um, but a lot of people. God forbid you talk about something you're passionate about. <laughs> yeah, don't get into that. Don't do that. No one wants to hear you talk about something that interests um, you. A lot of people end up making more because you start you start hyper focusing on it, and so that was I ended up getting two raises in mm-hmm. my job um, through that because you I think you start seeing your worth right you instead of just kind of like oh I can I can feed myself I can I have a roof over my head I'm doing fine right, right. like that's that's where I was yeah. like I'm doing fine and then you start looking at it and you're like what no no right. I can change this. Um, I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword because I, I really do appreciate that, but I, it's also tough for me because I have such a fundamental belief that I shouldn't have had to pay for it in the first place. Yeah. And so, like, I have a joke in my act about trying to get hit by a postal truck. You know what I mean? Because I just want to, like, write return to sender on the envelope. <laughs> just as soon as they send me that $45,000 check for breaking my leg, I'm going to be like, and sh- clear the debt immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a bit of a it's it is a bit of a joke when I talk about it, but there is a there is an element of like hesitancy for me to um, yeah give them the money when I feel like uh, I went to a public university yeah and um, I actively pursue and contribute to society in the thing that I went to school for. Uh, you know, I borrowed a bunch of money to learn how to watch dance rehearsals and take notes. And now I point <laughs> a camera at dance rehearsals. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it's, but because I don't teach anymore, I can't get on like forgiveness or anything. Not like don't they wanna... were honoring that shit anyway. But... Yeah. As it turns out, <laughs> anyway. oh, I would do a different podcast about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I hear you. And, and as I'm approaching that, right, like I'm like very, very close to that next payment. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm thinking about that. Like, I could have put down for a house by now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With what I, I just, you know, like, th- this shit has to change. This is yeah. not okay. Like, we are literally starting at a deficit. Yeah. In ways that other people, I mean, you know all of this. Yeah, but, for sure. No, I haven't um, had health care since I worked at Comedy Central. It just doesn't, it, 
it just doesn't fit yeah. in my budget, which is insane. Yeah. Which and, is an and absolutely that's, that's crazy thing. Not, that should not be our norm. Um, so it, it, I will say because I've, the freedom that I felt from getting that off my shoulders mm-hmm. is something that like that I wish I want people to experience that like that is, is, I don't even know how to explain it, but I had to, I, I kind of mentioned I had to take care of my parents this mm-hmm, year, mm-hmm. a few months ago. And, um, that was the moment that I think everything I'd been working for, <coughs> sorry, everything I'd been working for and hustling for and grinding, like that was the moment where I was like, I've made it. Mm. I can take, I can give back to my parents after they've given me so much. I can take care of them and not even bat an eye how I'm going to, you know, take care of myself after this. Right. That was, that was like kind of where it felt like it came full circle and, and it was the best feeling. That's awesome. So. I do. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I do like how you somehow skirted your Obama and Beyonce stories. Like I asked you about them and you're like, Dubai was cool. Um, so it's I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one last chance if you want to tell anybody I mean, about you, those things. What do you want to know? Well, you met both of those people, did you not? Yeah. Okay, that's pretty interesting to lots of folks. Okay. So do you want to tell anybody your Obama story, or your Beyonce story? I, I don't know how to talk about it. Like I like I it was work. You work. I mean, you woke up one day. You were in the White House. Oh wait, yeah. that's not how it went. <laughs> um. <laughs> What were you doing? Well, what was the project you were working on that took you to meet those um, people? So I was the project manager for the Obamas, um, la- their final Halloween event at the White House. Gotcha. Um, so that How'd was actually that through the school. Right. Um, so DMP had done the lighting, and then they asked them to come back and do the full design and, and production for it. And, um, and they gave me a call and said, would you be willing to come out and project manage this is there this by thing. chance, and this is not a leading question because I don't know the answer, but is there anybody in particular that was like, you know what, Kim Ross? Bland. That's awesome. Shout out Bland Wade. Yeah. Because that's awesome. It's those moments, I think, that, I think that's the moment you celebrate, right? Maybe you didn't, but for me, it's like the moment that you get recognized for a lot of work for a really long time and someone goes, you know what, we, only, we can only call one person or three people or whatever. Yeah. We want you. Fuck yeah. And for not a low-profile job. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, yes, you're right. And that was that was another full circle moment, right? Because I was, by by the looks on, you know, on paper, I was a terrible student. Yeah, are you and, sure you're talented enough to go to the right, White House and do exactly, design for the Obamas? Exactly. Um, Turns out, yes. Yeah. Take that. No. I mean, a little, a little. <laughs> I'm not trying, we're not trying to be gratuitous or, or rude, but I mean, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. You literally are, are, are dealing with someone in your design program who's saying, I don't know if you can cut it, do you? And then years later in the fucking White House doing that job, is there a bigger, cooler gig, you know, than something like that? Yeah. And I think it, it, it's actually one of my, so when I talk with, like, I'll go back to my high school and talk with students and um, just about, like, oh, you can go and study theater and make a career out of it. And the interesting thing I found is that what they don't, they don't really, they, I mean, they enjoy hearing the stories and the projects and, and all of that. But what helps them the most is hearing that I was a terrible student. Yes. Like, they, that gives them, like, okay, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Um, 
And so I think I appreciate that part of my story so much that like I I very proudly say I failed out of my major, you know, mm-hmm. like I almost didn't graduate and and I think my peers too like saw me as like a joke, like why are you still here? Um so it's it, it like it helps me too because I never knew any of that about you and I thought of you at school as someone who's totally crushing it. No. I mean, I didn't know you super well, but every time I saw you, there was a sense, no. apparently false, but it was a sense that I picked up on, which like, for whatever that's worth to you, it's not like you were giving off of the like hectic, I don't know what's going on, I'm failing vibe. It wasn't. Thanks. I, you know, knew you at school and I, I put yeah. you on the same place with everybody else who was over in that department that seemed to be doing well mm-hmm. how would you know and I think that that's I mean it's great for me because I do know all the cool things that you've done that I know about and it makes me feel better to know that's like you haven't always been on it you haven't always like had it totally figured out yeah no not that anyone does yeah. and you know yeah. cliche 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 and, and that's, but that's part of why I, I didn't love, know that about you that's part of why I I you know, we started this and I said, I'm an open book because I want people to know that side as well and not just see the glitz and the glamour and like the, the big achievements or, or whatever. Sure. Um, and you think didn't just like, skate your way into the no. White, House and White House, like nailing it at every moment. It was actually quite the struggle that led to you rising yeah. above things. That yeah. Brought you to that. And I think I try to also carry that in everything that I do in in not just making it about the job and treating people like shit, but also like being compassionate because I was on the the receiving end of, you know, a lack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but, but yeah, it doesn't matter going back to, you know, marathons and whatnot. It doesn't matter how you start it, you know, like I, with that too, a lot of people like to follow up and ask like, Oh, like how, what was your finishing time? Oh, I I barely made it before they broke down the finish line. It took me seven and a half fucking hours. <laughs> like I barely made it. I was I was injured, but I finished. And I got yeah. the same medal that the first person they crossed got. Right? Like I still have the same degree, same all of that, but it it doesn't matter. I know it's like a cliche, it doesn't matter how you start, but like just do it. Despite whatever whatever happened before, just just keep going, I guess. Yeah. And I think that this is the, this is, I guess, one of the last things I'll say. One of the things that kept me, um, you know, we were talking about some, some heavy stuff earlier and, and dealing with, uh, you know, dark thoughts and questions about whether or not there's a point of doing any of this. And I think that for me, one of the things that's kept me, two things, you know, you mentioned your sister is a big driving force for you. And my family is a little bit of that for me, but most of my family is much older than me and like, when they go, they go. There's not a lot I can do about it. I don't have anyone that's like my responsibility. But there are two things that keep me moving. I don't love them, but it's true. One of them is a sense of like, I want to try to have value. I want to have value in what being here. You know, mm-hmm. I just hate to think that I died and did nothing. Yeah. That's about it. But the other main thing is, to me putting any judgment on anyone else I'm really not but to me suicide is the ultimate quitting it's the ultimate like you know and I and I for me yeah yeah and that's why I don't want to do it not because I haven't wanted to do it not because I haven't felt motivated or I've been sad enough or any of those things yeah I don't want to give up I don't want to quit 
Like, I want to be done sometimes. I want to not do it anymore. But I don't want... And it's not about how people think of me. Oh, they're mm-hmm. going to call me a quit. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's just about me personally. Like, I feel like I've lost a lot of games. I've lost a lot of things in my life. I've gone through a lot of pain. But at this point, I can comfortably say for nothing else, I haven't given up yet. I haven't mm-hmm. quit. Yeah. And to me, it's like that's the one thing that, like, one way or another. And when I tell people some of the stories from my life, they're like, God damn, that's a lot to deal with. I mean, you hear your stories. It's not easy. But I'm a little bit psyched to be like 70 and people to go, you're still alive? Like what? Not yeah. just that you didn't do it, but like all the stuff you've done didn't yeah. kill you. Like survival to me in a weird way has become a thing that I'm passionate about. Like I want to, I don't want to live forever. I'm not fighting hard to, you know, I'm not switching to kale. It's not happening. <laughs> the meat's not going anywhere. However, there is a renewed sense of like, I don't want to live uncomfortably as soon as I'm like, oh, this body hurts, so I'm going to head out. But I don't want to feel like um, I didn't try my best. And I think that that's a, a cheesy, you know, as yeah. it is. It's like, I just want to feel like I tried as hard as I could. And uh, I don't know. I'm, in, I'm deeply impressed with how hard you try. Like, it's just, it's just so easy to not. Yeah, and I think... I think that that's it for some people, right? Is that they think they have tried as hard as they can. It's not right. so much, right? right. Like it's not so much just, oh, I'm I, I'm just not gonna not gonna do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Or I can't do this, but like it it feels like there is no other option. They've exhausted, right? Every yeah, other everything else has been exhausted, right, and right, that, right. that's um, that's that's it. And, and maybe that's the lesson I've learned is that I don't think that's ever true. Ever. It's not. For it's anything. Not. It is not. You've never tried everything. It's not. It's yeah. it's never true. And and um gosh, the the in in all the readings I've done too of like uh you realize like your your emo this is a really great book. Highly recommend. Um it's called The Instinct to Heal and mm-hmm. it's it's um curing stress anxiety and depression without talk therapy or medication so it it explores all of these other tools and techniques and and whatnot and diet is one of them exercise is one of them yeah and and so many other things right but in the in the beginning of it he breaks down the author um all right what happens in our body uh the physiological aspects of of what happens when we're stressed when we experience that and talks about us having like an emotional versus a logical um Responses. brain or like that like two kinds of brains yeah, yeah right? like left brain right brain a little yeah kind of right so it's like emotional and logical but yeah yeah and your emotions are a million times stronger than your your logic like side. chemically yeah like, like the, the amount of effect it has on your yeah. brain is that much stronger. so emotions that makes a lot of sense. emotions are stronger than logic and so you feel more than you think right like you feel like you have no other option but right. logically shit ain't true right right like you feel like you've done everything but no there's there's still and yeah there's still so much so much else i love that it's um it's so great to talk to you and thank you for all the support that you've given this show uh back when we were doing it before and now getting it going again i'm so glad that we finally got you on yeah did you have fun yeah 
Okay. This is awesome. Did you end up as scared as you thought you were going to be? Did you remain frightful? Um, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, but, no, I mean, you, you got to do what scares you, right? That's absolutely right. Kim Ross is a 2011 graduate of the School of Design and Production. At the Elephants is produced, hosted, and edited by Rob Morris in Silver Lake, California. 